this is Jen, and you're listening to Paradox, a Mage the Ascension podcast. These bite-sized episodes are designed to get you up to speed and comfortable with Mage the Ascension rules and concepts. Reread the books so you don't have to, though we do recommend it. Without further ado, welcome to Paradox. Welcome to Paradox, episode 10. Somehow we made it all the way to 10 episodes without exploding. So today I have what I expect to be an extremely fun conversation. Welcome to episode 10, Focus on Your Paradigm. And with me, I have two, count them, two amazing guests to dive into this topic. Of course, Kelly is back with us. Hey, Kelly. Hey, how's it going, Jen? It's good. How are you? You know, I am doing very well. I get to have a nice conversation about Mage the Ascension with you and our other guest, who is a dear friend. Indeed. Speaking of dear friend, I am very happy to say that we also have Travis Lake here, a frequent guest in Dorktales content. Welcome to Paradox. Hello. Thank you for having me. It promises to be a wonderful time. Indeed Magical. it does. Magical indeed. So I'd like to first open the floor to either of you to give a little introduction about yourself, where we can find you. Uh, hey everybody, I'm Kelly Clark. I am a uh, writer, performer, and a, a full-time storyteller over at twitch.tv slash dorktales and youtube.com slash dorktales and wherever you find your dorktales podcasts. I have been a Mage the Ascension player since 2001 or so. It was one of my first games and was the first full campaign chronicle. Uh, it was the first full chronicle that I ever played. Uh, my name is Travis. My pronouns are he, they. When I'm not running games on the internet, I write them. I've worked on various Game lines, I've worked on Mage of the Ascension, done a little bit of Werewolf the Apocalypse. I've worked on Trinity Continuum, Chronic's Path, done Scarred Lands, well, all sorts of game lines. But Mage is definitely early love of mine. It's probably, at least prior to me starting work on Twitch, it's probably the game I ran the most. And I've had the extreme pleasure of working on a few books for it, so looking forward to having a discussion about it. Amazing. Yeah. So happy to have you both here with me. And today we're going to be discussing paradigm or as a quick note, I will say I often use the revised terminology being paradigm and then focus or foci for your kind of instruments and practices that you do. Whereas M20 will use focus as the overarching term with paradigm being your belief system and and all of that and instruments and practice as your instruments and practices. So just for those listening, in case we swap back and forth between a lot of the terminology, that's that's why. Yeah, Travis, which mage did you start with? Well, technically, I guess first edition. Oh, uh, wow. I did, nice. I wow. did play in a first edition game in high school. First one I really ran was second edition. Hmm. Okay. And that, was, that was where I did most of my running back nice. in the day. I was just curious where our paths on Paradigm and Foci diverge, because I know you've been doing a lot of work with M20, but like, yeah, the revised stuff sticks with you. Yeah, see, I I largely stopped following it as revised sort of started to roll out. Hmm. I was still running a, a relatively lengthy game, but there were just, there were some decisions that were made in revised that I, at the time as a player, did not appreciate, so I just didn't, didn't incorporate them. Not a fan of the Avatar Storm? No. Still, I'm still not. And, and 
I suppose it might be mildly heretical of me to say this publicly, but nothing has convinced me that I was in error. In that. Um, I, yeah, I like it actually, but I grew like literally I was born into mage with it existing. So I yeah, don't yeah. Sure. have any context for without it. Sure. And I, here's the thing. Like I, obviously all that, all those decisions were made before my time and technically before Onyx Path's time. Right. Uh, yeah. That was all old school white wolf decision-making. And I think I have some insight maybe into why some of those decisions were made. I just it wouldn't have been the decisions I would have made then. And it's mm -hmm. certainly been the decisions I would make now if I had to try to accomplish the same thing. But it's given us the interesting blessing and curse of the way that M20 is ar arranged, which is effectively where you have kind of this core view of the world. And then you have all these toggles that you can switch on or off or into intermediate positions, which I do like quite a bit. And I think that Seder set up a really good groundwork with the first three quarters of the M20 books, where it allows you to explore those aspects and customize to your heart's content and the wheels don't fall off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's really modular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense to me, especially in a game where the very concept of a meta plot is presents a challenge to the the thesis of the world. Fair right? when the status quo is constantly being challenged by the very you know by the players themselves, right? You know, mm -hmm. yeah, no, that is that can be a bit yeah. Meta plots yeah, always how, a tangled web. How do players as as players and mages changing the world? change the meta plot except they don't because it's the meta plot but in m20 you can because it's maybe the meta plot right mm. it's it's very changeable and it's one of the things that we toy around with a little bit in some of the later m20 books you know the introductory fiction that's in lore of the traditions centers around the idea of of a mage finding sort of a back door into the ruins of concordia mm. that they can also view it through the lens of multiple possibilities of what might have happened so being able to work that into the into the actual fiction of the world uh, was pretty fun in that particular project lore of the traditions yeah. is such a cool book like it you is. did such a cool job with that and i'm i was really happy that dork tales was able to do like a limited run series in conjunction with that for your kickstarter like that was just such a cool thing to do so thanks thanks for roping us into that well thank you for for running it uh it uh, it went very well. It was fun to watch. And, you know, I, the, uh, the majority of the credit that I feel like I can take for Lord of the Traditions is just hiring well. I just picked uh, <laughs> authors that I thought would do a really good job with the material. And then I just got out of their way. Yeah, but that um, takes a enough. lot. That takes a lot of patience and that takes a lot of, a lot of knowledge to be able to do that. So, you know what? Congrats. Congrats mm -hmm. to you and congrats to them. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Let's dive into it. We've actually had some questions from Dorktales fans when I was asking what they wanted episodes on, and they were like, "What is a paradigm? <laughs> what what is it?" Just and and moving on from there. So let's start with that. What is a paradigm or a sure. focus? And, and so, well, those are technically different questions, I guess. Paradigm is is what you believe to be true about reality. That is the over arching, all-encompassing statement of belief or thesis for how the universe works. Um, it is represented 
to the practices and instruments that you employ to use your magic, particularly in M20. One of the things where I've always, if you've ever seen any of the actual plays I've run or played in a game I've run, you probably know that I'm I'm a fan of of narrative hand wavium whenever possible. I'm much more interested in the story than I am in the in the fiddly bits of mechanics. So to my mind, paradigm has always been what does your character believe that allows them to make the change in the world that they are seeking to make? And this is this has come up a lot in you know some of it's the fireball problem, right? Um, yep. Any mage that has forces three prime two can theoretically throw a fireball. Paradigm is explaining how your mage can throw that fireball, and you might not be able to. You know, I use belief, my chi, bro. I use right. my chi, and I I hadouken that shit. Right, your beliefs may allow you for you to do that, or your be- beliefs may require you to hack a computer that ties to the local power grid that causes a transformer to explode that then shoots uh, flames out of that transformer at your target. And they're, and they're all the same effect. It's just the different flavors of how you get to it and what else might mm-hmm. interact with it. When we get into how the, that's broken down in M20, you have the paradigm, which is the overarching belief, the practices, which are the sort of arrangements or, I guess for lack of a better term, genre of sort of superstitions or processes that work together in order to form, you know, to give you access to that paradigm. And the instruments are the actual physical tools. So uh, just as an example, saying you're a hermetic who believes in, uh, you know, a mechanistic cosmos, you think that everything has kind of a, a numeric value and it all works a certain way because that's the way it works. Your practice might be high ritual magic. So that informs the trappings you're going to be using, you're using chalks, you're going to be using chanting, you're going to be using sim- symbols, you're using mathematics. And then those individual items are your instruments. Yeah, I got nothing to add to that. That that answered it. It's pretty much. <laughs> that answered it. I, I mean, bet, best I could do is offer flavorful suggestions, and that's about it, right? Like it's yeah, that that covers it, right? It's the Oppenheimer <laughs> Barbie paradox is what keeps popping through my head. The Oppenheimer and Barbie can do the same magic, but it's vastly different paradigms. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Lo, I have become Barbie girl of the Barbie world. Unless you watch uh, Twin Peaks: The Return, and you see they're all—they're both using the same paradigm. Um, well, yeah, but 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 Lynch has <laughs> like Arate Ten. He's an oracle. It doesn't count. It's valid. Um, he's left his worldly trappings behind. Can you explain how these paradigms are linked? No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I mean, and and the thing that I've always found the most fun about. Um, engaging with magic and mage is that whole like how are you going to do it what what you're going to do with your magic is less far less interesting to me as a storyteller or as a player than how you are going to get there your end effect is is cool it's neat it's whatever but the process by which you get there is, is far more compelling and i think if you really as a player commit to buy in on your paradigm you'll find that as you're answering those questions, sometimes it will change the actual nature of the effects you're deciding to use because they make more sense with what your character believes. Oh, 100%. I mean, if you break it down, like paradigm is character, right? It's it's a way of conveying your character and a way of getting into that role-playing. And it's it's one of the parts of Mage that is the most engrossing, right? Like, especially like, I mean, Jen and I both have done a lot of like Mage the Ascension LARPing. So when you can incorporate things even into like physical characteristics and body language into costume pieces, like it's mm-hmm. so cool. 
And just the amount of half of any good mage character is 15 Wikipedia tabs, in my opinion. Because yes. it's like, oh, what do I need to know about Taoism for this? Crap. Oh, my <laughs> intro to... East I... Yeah, exactly. Time to take that refresher course on Eastern, on uh, intro to Eastern philosophy again, because well, I played, decided to play a Jainist. And that is that is an aspect of what you can do with it, but I would say that I don't think you have to do that in order to have fun playing mage. Oh, oh yeah, no, sure. not not to gatekeep. <laughs> this is more of an this is more of an advanced enrichment level. No, yeah, but. and it can it can be a huge deal of fun. Uh, one one thing I like to try to if I'm explaining to somebody who like who's coming to mage new, I try to reinforce that paradigm is is what you believe and that you believe it so hard that you can enforce that belief on the rest of the world. So like when you're approaching what falls within my character's paradigm, what falls within their belief structure, you have to think about that as, as kind of a, a narrative tool for also building the personality. Cause why do they believe so hard in this particular thing? Why does your character believe so hard in the flow of, of key uh, allowing them to tap into uh, universal forces. What events have occurred in their life that, have, that, have, that has driven home that belief? So I think it's it's also fun from like a world building or, or character building perspective to look at it. Yeah, it absolutely does. And so I know that in, in I, I'm not sure about prior to revise, though I have looked at some first and second edition books because they're usually haven't been done redone for revised or anything, and sometimes they're even better than the revised ones. <laughs> but like in revised, it was it was a lot more uh, figuring out your character's paradigm kind of on your own. There was some guidance, but not as much as say there is in M twenty, where it's like, oh hey, here's a list of potential belief systems that you might fall into, and or might you know your mage might like wholeheartedly believe. And so one of the questions we also had was, can you pick more than one? Can you combine these two, like two different types to kind of cobble together your own sort of paradigm? Or at least with M20, is, are you kind of looking at, here's your here's your belief system and this any other belief system doesn't really mesh with it. Does that make sense? It does. I sure hope you can combine them because I do that when I'm writing up NPCs that are in books. So. Good. <laughs> yeah. I also do that. <laughs> yeah, they're not rigid. the The belief structure of a mage, and this is where I guess the meta narrative combines with the world narrative, right? Um, because when you look at it from like a strictly systems perspective, depending on what kind of magic you practice, you will either beginning at Arte two or beginning at Arte six you'll start to shed foci, the need for foci. You, not that you don't necessarily use them, but you can uh, perform magic without them as you gain more enlightenment. That is a metatextual way of illustrating that at the end of the day, all your paradigms are valid, right? Because it's not, it's not really what you believe, it's how hard you believe that makes the difference. But having said that, though, paradigm should be an intensely personal thing. I mean, we group things into buckets partially for um, the convenience of discussion and partially because as human beings, we are cognitive lazy and um, <laughs> mages are just humans. So well, it, it, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'll add at the end. I was going to say, so, you know, if you pick and mix and match aspects of different paradigms, 
Yeah, I don't see any reason why that... As long as they're internally consistent to that character, it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. matter. And you can, you know, look at anyone who adheres to, you know, any established religious or philosophical belief structure in the real world. Internal consistency is not necessarily a requirement to believe something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's plenty mm-hmm. of real world beliefs that are not internally consistent. So I think you can absolutely mix and match uh, to your heart's content. It's just a matter of establishing those things and adhering to them in play. And if they change in play, having them change for a reason. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. So like developing like a paradigm for yourself, it's a lot like um, talking about really like rigidity. It's kind of like working with quick dry cement. Like you can, you can throw anything you want into it, but when, when it's firmed up, it should probably stay firm. Like, you know, like once you have an idea of it, because then it, it creates these wonderful little tensions and dynamics with other players and with the world around you. Right. It gives you a playground with which to explore ideas and also just great conflict with your players. You know, I, I think it's always fun to watch. I mean, there's nothing more fun than sitting back and just watching people argue about why a fireball happens <laughs> oh sure and i i ran a game for about three years that had it was really large we had nine players so there was a oh wow player from every tradition there were several sessions we would play four or five hours a night when we played you know once a week and there were several sessions we would play four or five hours a night when we played you know once a week and there were several sessions that it was entirely a session about them all sitting around discussing how they were going to make this large planned spell work with everybody's belief structures. You know, so like there would be like little sniping arguments between like the dream speaker and the celestial chorus about what's the appropriate way to approach the spirit that they need for this thing. You know, and the hermetic would, would pop in and they'd both tell him to shut up. And it was just a very like, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it makes for fun, interesting role play because everybody, you know, if you just look at the dots on, on everybody's sheets, well, yeah, you'll, chance some shit and and this thing happens but it's much more interesting much more compelling you get much more into the motivations of why characters are doing what they're doing when they're treating that aspect of the character as what it should be which is a, a foundational piece of who they are yeah yeah we just all agree with everything here right like it's just like <laughs> yep 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 Yep. I mean, that's that's the point of well, not the point of mage though, is that you can come at things with a bunch of different from a bunch of different angles and be like, yeah, no, that that tracks. That absolutely works. <laughs> right. Yeah. So long as we agree the hermetics are right. <laughs> the hermetics are always right. That's the hermetics are always right. That's what we tell them. Uh, <laughs> and it keeps them off our back. Right. Precisely. Right. So this this next question is a little bit more. We kind of answered it, but I thought of a way to ask it in this context, actually. And. It's about incorporating paradigm into character, but as we discussed, paradigm kind of is character. So now I'm, I'm kind of changing this question into when you're building a character, how are you coming at the idea of like your character build you have, the tradition you want to play, and what paradigm you're kind of having them believe in, and just how, how do you work with those three kind of aspects all together and make a character basically i mean you have to look for logic points right like if i'm playing a a chippendale dancer like i'm a male stripper right Mm -hmm. who is a oh i don't know what's a good one i mean you can if you think of what paradigm you want to attach that to you get some vastly different ideas right like if i wanted to be we were talking about the order of hermes to say that i you know i'm a thunder down under dancer and i am an order of hermes mage what part of the paradigm 
what part of the belief system, what part of the focuses and foci can I attach to that character that makes sense? That like where where would he have learned hermetic magic? Like why would he have attached himself to that? Alternatively, if you look at something like the Cult of Ecstasy's paradigm, it, it's a much easier attachment. That doesn't mean it's the right one for that character. I don't think there is a right one for any character, but you know, you can really find some great places to to draw additional character beats out of there because if if I'm playing a character that's a stripper because he dropped out of MIT and then I, you know, awaken and become a virtual adept, then boom, that that works great, right? Yeah, I strip on yeah. the side. Yeah, and it can provide points of tension for your character, right? Even going back to say you're a hermetic who's stripping on the side because you're down and out on your luck and you're just like, how do I I need to make money so I'm doing this, but really my passions lie over here in hermeticism or what have yeah. you. Alternatively, there's a hell of a backstory of being one of those strippers that shows up at some old lady's house for her birthday, like, and awakens in the middle of some problem because it's like a bunch of old hermetics decided to, you know, get the grand master something for her birthday, like a dumb present. <laughs> and that's your mentor now, the, the woman that you were just grinding on while she was like, oh, dear. <laughs> Sure, that is that is also an option. I had to pick yeah, the dumbest yeah. concept possible, Travis. I'm sorry. I, I love it. No, I'm I'm all for it's it. Great. Good. I'm playing that in your next mage game, so be ready. Sold. Sold. Um, no, and I think too, um, it's one of the things, depending on where you're at as a role player, because I think mage is a game that demands a bit more of the player just in terms of the consideration of like what are my beliefs? Who is this person at their core? What do they really want? And so one thing that you can do um, when you're making your mage character is really build everything around that, right? Like this character is going to have X profession and Y habits because they have Z paradigm and therefore all that stuff is tied together and makes total sense and works in good harmony. And that's fine. And that's a perfectly respectable way to make a mage character. Uh, it's, it's a good way to, if you're, struggling with the idea of paradigm it's a good way to bring that in i think because you're taking the thing that makes the most sense with kind of all the things the character wants to do right but putting those things in some sort of opposition i think is also a very rich role-playing opportunity and it gives you an, a, a chance to uh sort of look at some of these things about like okay um where does my paradigm come come into conflict with my morality or where does my paradigm come into conflict with what I'm seeing in the world? And am I compelled to change it? And if so, how? So, you know, taking another thing, uh, an opposite example would be like, you know, Euthanatos EMT, right? You know, your entire, your, your occupation is built around saving lives, treating people medically, using science effectively, right? And, and then you undergo this experience, you have an awakening, um, it wakes you up to these other possibilities of the soul and of, of the wheel. You maybe find a mentor that starts uh, teaching you uh, various things about, you know, uh, their particular brand of mysticism. And so now you have to reconcile your, you know, your occupation, your um, material biographic sort of history with this new aspect of, of your character. But I think it's yeah, something that you don't necessarily need to do to enjoy. Like you can absolutely like put all your eggs in one basket. And it doesn't make your mage character less valid or make less sense. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's something to be said about playing to stereotype and against stereotype, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody loves a Dexter. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I've had this urge as I've been editing the episode of Paradox that actually just came out today. I suddenly got this urge of of running a game that spans from like everybody starts at Erite one and then it just kind of goes through time and then ends kind of in the in like week of nightmares 1999 type type thing mm-hmm. where you're pos- you're potentially having grown to like being an archmage and i do like the idea of if somebody's even even if somebody's experienced in the game but particularly if somebody's new to the game starting out at being newly awakened starting out at erite one just to see how your paradigm kind of develops with your character and as they learn how to do magic absolutely and and I think too, like part of the thing, part of the reason why Paradigm is presented with such a broad brushstroke in M20 is because a lot of particulars can fall under the blanket statement uh, surrounds each Paradigm. So as you're learning your character and you're developing your character, you can sort of refine. Okay, my character believes in a mechanistic cosmos. Okay, that's fine, and that gets you that gets the job done. At character creation. What does that look like six sessions in? How do you see it? Do you see that as a representation of numbers on a chalkboard? Do you see that as uh, moving celestial spheres that all have their own sort of aspects of motion and location? You know, even if you look at like, you know, um, I saw, I don't know if it was Cosmos uh, clip from, but it was a clip that basically showed like, this is the standard model that we often use when we're talking about the way the solar system looks. And it's a picture of a ball with several other balls sort of uh, orbiting around it. And they're like, and this is a more accurate depiction of how the solar system actually moves through space. And it showed like this CG rendering of like the sun hurtling forward while everything that's <laughs> moving around it is also hurtling in one direction while hurtling in 20 other directions. And so those two things look very different. They are, they, yeah. they're materially very different, even though they're depicting the same thing. And I think as you're learning your character, you can start to refine that paradigm in that fashion. Or not. Yeah, I mean, for for me, at least in <laughs> in Victorian Mage, I'm still figuring out Josephine's total paradigm, partly because her paradigm before coming to Earth was magic just happens. <laughs> now she's like, wait, wait, what? How, how am I doing this? And what do I believe in? I mean, she's. I mean, there's so problems. Like <laughs> Why are there problems here? Everything was fine back. Here? It's <laughs> yeah, like being right? in a house without gr- without grounding, right? You're like, what do you mean I can't plug this toaster in? Why not? It might burn <laughs> down the house. Why would it that do seems, that? That seems. False. And that was that your seeking. <laughs> that was my seeking. Yes. That was your entire seeking. <laughs> Learning to plug in toasters that you're like, oh, maybe I should yeah. use a circuit breaker. Maybe I mm, should use a surge protector. You know. <laughs> Well, and those uh, you bring up, you bring up seekings. Those are also excellent opportunities for the player and the storyteller to sit down and say, "Okay, well, what what have we learned about your paradigm? What changes about your paradigm?" You know, I always go back to the that long mage game I ran uh, because it was I ran it for a long time, so we ran into a lot of things. We do the same thing. We do the same but thing, man. I, I got you. There was a point. It was like RSA six seeking too. And one of the verbena in our group just botched their, just screwed their seeking up horribly. Kind of got everything wrong, took away the worst lessons from it. It just didn't go well. And so when it was all said and done, their avatar was like, this didn't go well. 
um, this is not this was not what you were intended to learn. What you're intended to walk away from was was very different. So I just I'm not gonna open up this further gate of enlightenment to you. And the player was like, well, you know, is there is there nothing I can do? I, you know, I, I I desperately want to learn these lessons. Yada yada yada. So I'm like, all right, we'll give you the extra arate. We'll let you buy the arate. Um, but you need to take a geese that you will no longer cause harm with your magic until you're able to complete another seeking. And they're like, all right, done. And that actually shifted the characters. So they wound up going on, I think, three more seekings before the game was over. Oh, wow. But uh, they never bought off that piece. They just For the rest of the time, they're like, I will never harm someone with my magic. That's, I learned that wow. lesson, you know, <laughs> and it shifted the way that they, <laughs> that they thought about magic. Uh, so much so that when they were no longer like compelled to behave that way, it didn't matter because they had altered their perceptions. Yeah, you just don't do that, you know? Yeah. It's a co core memory unlocked. Right, that's not <laughs> what magic is for. Now they would indirectly harm people, and they would. Yeah. They were very quick to hasten to point out that if I turn you into a sheep, that doesn't hurt you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's true. If I turn you into a sheep and do nothing else, you are not no, harmed. No, but. but but if you take them to the butcher shop, that's not magic. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. There's some, there's some, there's some discussion there. Your avatar's yeah. just sitting up there, narrowing its eyes at you, like I see you in the letter of the law. Like, that's not the spirit of our agreement. But You're it is eating the your lamb shank. Pattern avatar is having is just fine with it. You're you're correct. Technically correct. The best kind of correct. <laughs> Primordial Avatar burns down your house for doing it. <laughs> yeah. and, it was, and it was funny because she was like a, a big time, just, you know, she was a very violent character prior to that. And then very much became a healer, but it also did not, it toned down the frequency of non-magical violence she was doing, but it increased the intensity. So when she did do something <laughs> that was violent, it was like horrifically violent. <laughs> That's beautiful. Fair. Fair. <laughs> You know what? I mean, if you're if, if you're if you're gonna do it, do it well and do it once. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm I'm excited because I get to run Nolan seeking on Sunday. My technocrat, and, uh, my 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 botched yeah. technocrat. Oh my god! And I have well, no I idea what you're gonna do with this it, one. But yeah, I haven't figured out all of it yet. But I have thoughts, and that, you're gonna have a time. That sounds great. He's a very weird character, Travis. He's an ex-NWO agent who now works for the Descartes Institute of Mental Health. So he's a he, he's a deprogrammed, reprogrammed burnout. Man, I don't even play that character. I just show up and he does stuff, and then I come out of it at the end of the session, and I'm like, I don't know what I did. I think I licked somebody. <laughs> like, I got, I coded a llama plush with LSD and gave it to some kid having an anxiety attack. I don't know if it helped. It's always fun it helped when more than than you trying to like do my magic on them so yeah that's true so it's fun when characters kind of take on their own their own life you know and i think and you know paradigm is one way to approach uh getting there with that but like just also you know knowing who the character is or letting the character just sort of stepping back and saying okay i'm not gonna have any expectations i'm gonna let this character react to things can also be a very enriching experience mm, yeah 100 i always yeah, I always have to give myself a couple of sessions, at least, before I really start to feel the character's mind inside of my own kind of thing, where it's like, oh, nope, this is, they're just existing now. Cool. 
Dude, the scariest thing with like playing a new character, especially if you're going into like a what what is hopefully a long running uh, chronicle, mm-hmm. is that first line of dialogue. That is always like it's like it's like stepping like off of a like a like a ledge for me. Like every time I'm like, oh oh, if I don't get this right, if I don't get the voice right, is gonna, and it just I always freak out. But yeah, sometimes it just hits. Sometimes it just happens too. Like I think for. In one of your your LARPs, Kelly, my my technocrat, she just came out of me and was like existing. She was so problematic and troubled, but it was like all of the problematic and troubled part. Yeah. Yeah. All the problematic and troubled parts of me were just now in this other person (laughs) that was just existing during game. It was great. Yep. Role playing is not therapy. Role playing is not therapy, but. But it is catharsis. It is catharsis. It is catharsis, which is therapy's next door neighbor. What else we got? How about talking about some of our any any sort of favorite paradigms that we've ever played or seen someone play? Just like the general belief system of maybe it was how they played their character that that made it so memorable. But I'm trying to think of of some good ones that I've seen in the past. Oh man! If you don't have any, that's fine. We can always move on. No, I've just seen so many mages. I've seen so many mages. So many mages. I do so really many... like. Evelyn in Victorian Rage, just the whole mad scientist aspect and like coming coming from she, the order of reason into she's fallen down that rabbit she, hole pretty well. She's going crazy. Like she's going yeah. mad mad. And it's yeah. it's a it's a it's a beautiful little spiral that 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 woman's going on. Yeah, it's great. What a, I mean, one of the one of the ones that sticks in my head is a really really old one that was a character named Tayton. That was in my first Mage LARP that I ever ran. And uh, that character was an orphan. Orphan capital O for those who don't know the terminology. Someone who comes to magic and kind of makes their own their their own magic and kind of comes up with their own paradigm. And it was all very visceral, very blood-based on everything. Like everything required, like bloodletting. And it was just the character rode that paradigm all the way to hell, basically. Just... <laughs> She's the first one that pops into my head because it was this constant like self-masochism that was part of the paradigm, the need to to bleed, to create, to to bleed, to change, and then ultimately ended up falling to nefondic control because of that, mm-hmm. the, this constant degradation of self. And it was, oh, it was a, it was a water slide covered in razor blades for the entire way. <laughs> and... And it was just That's sad. And the care the player knew it. The player knew it. They're they were like, Yeah, let's yeah. let's do this. Let's do this. But man, yeah. it was Again, it was interesting to not watch. Not therapy catharsis. <laughs> yeah. It, it is fun to see someone march directly into their own damnation in a in a way that makes absolute sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so it's so satisfying because there are so many people that, that I've played with over the years who would who would rail against it at the last minute. They get second thoughts and they try to think their way out of it, out of character. And just to have somebody just embrace it is just really, it's like, thank you. Thank you. Out of character. You knew what you were doing. That was, that was mm. lovely. Enjoy, enjoy hell. <laughs> it's interesting. I, and I, like I said, I, I, I've been very fortunate in that a lot of the people that I've run for or played with have been uh, very dedicated to exploring paradigm and having a good time with it. So it's really hard to, I can tell you some of the ones that I've had the most fun writing. Sure. Yeah. Which was, uh, I did a short story for the, the 
melody through the mirror shade lens, the technocracy loaded anthology. And the story is a historical drama with Lovecraftian horror that has an action movie in the middle of it. Um, All right. <laughs> and one of the characters, there's a void engineer in the story uh, who is very much, she's just absolutely in love with being a space marine. Um, I, I suppose we shouldn't use that term because that's trademark, but you know what I mean. Uh, she loves being, uh, she loves being uh, fighting aliens and, and, and doing horrible damage to things and shit. Um, and it was just, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of fun to write her and to write in her paradigm and to explore like how does this sort of sci-fi nerd dialed up to eleven incorporate her sci-fi nerddom into her actual kicking of alien asses? It was a lot of fun to explore. She wrote a, a, a mind adjustment that allowed her to effectively turn off her emotion chip. <laughs> <You know? laughs> nice. Uh, I'm just not going to be scared anymore. A lot of fun stuff. Yep. But anyways, I also Boy, have a soft spot. Void engineers are, are my favorites. Outside of, well, in technocracy anyway. It's, they're my favorites. Oh, they're so much fun. They're so much fun. I mean, yeah. like, I mean, if we're talking technocracy, the, the best paradigm is the syndicate. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just the most... Being able just to pull out a wad of cash and tell somebody, you know, just, hey man, just fuck off, you know, <laughs> like. So what's funny is I literally used that example in the episode that released today. Oh, did you? Okay. <laughs> yeah, because but, it's the the episode on mind on the mind sphere. Oh uh, so, yeah. yeah, a yeah. thousand bucks cash makes any mind effect believable. Just about. Um, you know, one, the syndicate, to my mind, have always been like the most like mustache twirling evil. Oh yeah yeah yeah, hundred percent. The, you know, talking about like you mean the, capitalism was the real villain all along, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, mm. You know, and talking about the narrative toggles of Mage Twentieth, uh, the Void Engineers specifically are literally two completely different conventions depending on which of those plot aspects you have in play, right? Oh yeah. Right? Because if the Avatar, Avatar Storm happened and they got the Void Engineers got the snot kicked out of them. They're very militaristic, very angry, very, you know, embattled, embittered, survivor's guilt-ridden warriors. And if not, they're kind of like the secret party faction of the technocracy. You know, they're like, we stay nice and straight-laced yeah. on this side of the gauntlet, but when we get into space, it's party time. It's a different story. Very, yeah. very interesting. All right, they're not looking. Cowboy hat's out. Cowboy hat's out. <laughs> Push a little button yep. on the dash, cowboy hat shootout, cowboy hat shootout. Yeah. yeah. It's like oxygen tanks on, on airplanes yeah, when you're about exactly. to crash. It's on a little <laughs> string. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, it's why I kind of like, or I really like in Zero Sum, that the two void engineers are two very different void engineers, and they are not like classic void engineers. We've well, got like we've got Nolan who's who's special. <laughs> He's a former Mib. He's a former. He's a former super yep. spy, and then like what? Heather. Heather's a Scotty. Yeah. Right. She's and, like and supposed also to be like fairly new. She's she's a lot newer to things. So, so she's so, a Chekhov, even better. Yeah. So she just like doesn't have that that grizzled warrior time yet. <laughs> she's getting there. We're sending her there. But I think. I think honestly, Jen, if we had to talk about paradigms I really love, for those mm -hmm. who tune into Jen's zero sum game, Nolan's paradigm has mm -hmm. some has some landmines buried in it that are gonna come up pretty soon. 
I think. Nice. So enjoy. I've got some things prepared for you that literally came to me in a dream. <laughs> dream paradigms are great. <laughs> dream paradigms are the oh, especially for like deep state programming. Like, right. like my subconscious told me how how to win this game. What? That's stupid. I love it more. Right. Oh, I also really loved, and just because you let me do this, Kelly, for a couple of episodes in the LARP that I wasn't in the whole time. I was just in at the end, yeah. and you because the the cast had gone to um, like a post apocalyptic like world or whatever had happened. I don't even know the plot of that LARP. I just oh, man, know it was that. Weird. Yeah, I just know that you were in a post-apocalyptic world when I was joining for a couple of uh, sessions and you let me take what I think is now called dual affiliation, but was called dual tradition, but let yep. me do void engineer euthanatos. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Trying absolutely. to align those two mindsets into a single paradigm was just amazing. <laughs> yeah. You had to go, they had to go to Pluto to meet with, meet with Senex and or Senex's ghost anyway. And that, you know, that was a weird, it was a weird game. It sounds but that's that that's what Mage is though. It's weird, right? Like Mage, you can do Mage some weird shit. Mage is the, the place for bizarre bizarre things to occur. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's yes. all because some guy digitized the universe. He had to go outside of the outside of the outer horizon to not it was a it was a weird <laughs> game. It was fun it though. Was it was fun. good. It was good. And then reality got rewritten a couple it's just easy. Right. Well and then reality got rewritten and I got to become my favorite Techno uh, technocrat character that I've played. So yeah, we just did multiple timelines. It was fine. Yeah, you know, forget what they say about time magic not being able to change time. That seems counterintuitive. Uh, <laughs> it does. It does indeed. So how about some common pitfalls to thinking about paradigm? I know the one that I always think of it is it's more about instruments and and foci rather than paradigm itself, but especially since we were talking about technocrats, the whole like, oh, my cell phone does everything kind of technocrat, right? Sure. <laughs> of just like, I have an app for that. <laughs> that's that's one of the ones I always see is just like not really, I guess not really diving deep into paradigm and, and choosing, choosing folk kind of stuff, but that's just me. Well, and that's, I guess that's one of the things where the technocracy uh, particularly presents an interesting opportunity slash challenge slash get out of jail free card right um because the technocracy at the end of the day uh, all of the rank and file of the technocracy uh well up into the higher upper echelons kind of believe that enlightened science is an umbrella thing that works a certain way which is why they can swap gear back and forth between them which is why they're able to cooperate so effectively because at the end of the day they're all working on agreed upon principles they have a much stronger unity of vision like the tradition mages do. So you can get kind of that, there's an app for that sort of mindset. And having said that, I mean, there's nothing wrong with playing a mage game where you're like, my character throws a fireball because he has forces three and prime two and he thinks he can throw a fireball. All right, cool. If, like, if that's as deep as you want to get into it, that's fine. You know, there's no show up and take away your mage books. But I think it's more interesting too, as you're engaging with those items, say, well, how how does my character do this? Not, not because of the dots on the sheet, but like, what does my character feel that he is doing to adjust these aspects of reality? And as you're asking those questions, you can look at it descriptively 
as to how that functions, which then lets you look at it, you know, uh, in terms of, of the narrative. One of the things that I guess, uh, for lack of a better word, stuck in my craw a little bit um, as I was working on uh, Sorcerer uh, is, you know, this idea that I think, and again, I, I never want to slap the dice out of somebody's hand and tell them they're playing a game wrong. But this idea that, like, you know, that Mage is a game of wiggling one, one's nose and then having your way with reality. I think it, I think you might be reducing your enjoyment of what's possible with the rich canvas of, of what can be in a Mage game. Because uh, it's not. It's it's about narrating out those steps and sometimes those things taking a while. Um, and Magic is not necessarily a snap your fingers and, and the solution occurs in experience expanding that I think can be very rewarding. Uh exploring that I should say can be very rewarding. Yeah, sure. I like I again like like you, not trying to knock the dice out of anyone's hand and tell them they're playing the game wrong. But I can see a kind of correlation with say Dungeons and Dragons where you have the, you know, kick in the door dungeon crawl, that's really all we want to do is just fight monsters and then go drink ale in the tavern. And that's the kind of game we want. And that's perfectly fine. Same with Mage. If, you know, if if your players and your, your storyteller aren't at odds about what the story you're trying to tell and and the story you're trying to tell together, because all of you are telling the story together, it's not just your storyteller narrating, right? But as long as, as everybody's kind of on the same page and, you know, if, all, if it, you only want to go as deep as... Yeah, my my character believes that they can throw fireballs, and so they do. Then that's perfectly reasonable, and you should still have fun playing the game. But I agree that for me, anyway, it's that kind of deeper dive, that into character, that that deep in the narrative of the world of darkness that I love. It's all of that, mm. right? Yeah. There's something else I was going to say. Now it's gone from my brain. That's fine. Gone forever. Ran away. It's gone forever. Yeah. But yeah, I guess I guess the the point being is that like you can your paradigm is ultimately going to be as important as you want it to be. It's a soft system, and that's some players bounce off of soft systems. They don't like if it if it doesn't have a modifier to it, um, it doesn't click sometimes for people, and that's okay, and that's totally fine. And you might be in a group where it clicks for everybody except one person, and that's fine too. Let that one person have their fun. There's nothing wrong with that as long as everybody can, you know, as long as everybody's being treated fairly, it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, exactly. I did remember the thing I was going to say, which is that I do kind of like the idea now of a mage, probably one in quiet, if not a marauder, who actually believes that they're playing a character in a game and oh, sure. puts the dots on the sheet that make their magic. Yeah, that's how, that's, that's how to make it work. That's how to get that going. <laughs> I absolutely love Marauders, and it's a great sadness of mine that I never got to do anything like officially with like bringing Marauders more to the forefront. Because I think that they make for some great role playing opportunities, both for antagonists, but I also think that there is some, there could be some fun to be had and some interesting narratives to explore if uh, Marauders were allowed, if there was a means of bringing them in as players. Yeah, yeah fair. I agree. There, there's very little of that in, like, revise the Book of Madness as, what is it, the unbirthday party section, where they talk a little mm. bit about that, but there's really not much. Well, and there's, and like, it, 
breaks down fairly well in, in M20, like the systems you would need for it and everything are kind of laid out there, but there's a lack of guidance of like what that would actually look like. And to me, you know, and maybe this is just my inner goth kid, but uh, to me, Marauders are horrifically tragic figures. Oh, yeah. They're not generally funny, um, though they can have funny moments. You know, they're they're awful. I wrote a short story about Bottom Router for the first thing I actually ever wrote for Mage was in the Truth Beyond Paradox anthology. I wrote a story about a, a, a guy basically uh, becomes a marauder uh, because he doesn't accept uh, his daughter's untimely demise. And so he wants to undo that with magic. Um, and it's a tragic, it's a tragic story. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's the whole uh, flying too close to the sun, melting the rings off aspect. And I think there's uh, a lot of Fertile ground to explore with Marauder. And they, they also make for great foils. They also make for great, like, you know, there but for the grace of God go I type stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I always attribute, or I, I feel like Marauders and, like, Malkavians from Van- Vampire the Masquerade, kind of on the same line where it's, you know, yeah, you can have, it, a lot of people lean into the, the funny part of, of those, you know, you got your fish malks and you've got your, your Marauders who are just, you know, clowns, essentially, like insane evil clowns or whatever you go with. But there are so many opportunities to make that such a deeper, more tragic story that sure. I feel like should be explored. And I will say this, some of the most effective Malkavians I've ever seen played were characters who were intensely aware of the perception that others had of Malkavians. And so they use that to their advantage. So if they were ever putting on the fish milk show, it's because they were putting on a show. <laughs> you know? oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and that's it was, brilliant. Yeah. It was very deliberate, you know. And then, and then you get them alone, and, and the the real the masks come off, and you find out what's actually going on upstairs, and it makes it all the more terrifying. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it, and it's it's you know obviously mental illness is nothing to joke around about or or, or play with, but I think that there's. Uh, if done respectfully, there's there's fertile ground there for storytelling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and yeah, the the key word there is is respectfully because there are people, real life people, who live with conditions that people role play or worse than what people role play, and they're not laughing stocks. So we shouldn't make no. the characters laughing stocks. I think we're getting kind of towards the end of at least. We've, we've touched on most of the questions I have, I've had prepared, except for the last one about the resources. But is there anything else that anybody wants to say or dive into about Paradigm? Have fun. Yeah, uh, have a good time with it. And, and, and that's the thing, right? Like, it, you've got to... My advice, if you're either just picking up Mage for the first time or if you've been playing for 20 years, um, my advice is to sit down with your group, have a discussion about Paradigm, decide how you want it to be like what you want the room, the table flavor of it to be, but also figure out what each person's individual comfort levels are with, within that flavor, because there are some players that really just don't want to spend their, their time navel gazing too much about what their character thinks. Uh, they want to spend their time exploring the world. And I think you can accommodate those players while also accommodating the players who do want to uh, really delve into the minutia of their paradigm. It's just a matter of making sure everybody's getting the appropriate amount of spotlight and that everybody's time is being respected. That would be my advice about Paradigm as a whole. Yeah, that's pretty good advice. Thanks, I try. (laughs) 
But yeah, are there, you know, any resources that either of you would recommend, mage books or otherwise, of just either stuff written about paradigm in terms of mage or like resources you'd use to figure out what a paradigm is? I know Kelly, you use a lot of TV and film to. Yeah, I was going to say the if you have access if you have access to the guide to the traditions, um, there is quite a bit at the back of that that has like film and TV resources just for inspiration for each mm-hmm. tradition. And it's a, it's pretty handy. A lot of it's outdated because that book was published 20 something <laughs> years ago and it might not be the most sensitive suggestions, but you know, it'll give you something to look for. Wikipedia honestly is a great yeah. source. TikTok even like a lot of, you can find a bunch of like social media videos, YouTubes, mm-hmm. things like that. Maybe subscribe to this podcast. <laughs> subscribe to this podcast. Okay. Would be good. All right. <laughs> Uh, Watch Dork Tales, Victorian Mage, and Zero Sum. And, and whatever Breaking game Travis tradition. is going to run for us. Exactly. Yeah. All those things. And uh, the other thing I would recommend, too, is um, Satiros Bricado put out a, a book called Mage Made Easy on the Storytellers Vault. Oh, did he? That does a, oh, yeah. Does a oh, is lot. it? Okay, cool. It's kind of like deconstructing Mage to its, its core components. Like, how do I make a Mage character? Let's pull out all the meta plot organizations and all the all the stuff, and let's get to the meat of like what makes a mage a mage. And so it does a lot of discussion about paradigm and how that shapes your character. It's it's very very handy book. I would highly recommend everyone pick up three copies of it. But other than that, I mean, you can you can do as exactly as much research as you want to do into any given paradigm, right? You can you know delve deep and read alchemical texts if you want to. I don't think you necessarily need to to enjoy a mage. Say that with Jen actually having done that. <laughs> but not for Mage. I didn't do it for Mage. No, just cause you're it because you're a nerd. It's because I'm a nerd, yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, yeah, I mean, read what you think is fun. If My caution would be if you're treading closely to real-world beliefs, try to familiarize yourself with the structures and cultures of those beliefs so that you're training them respectfully. But you can get a whole lot of Mage paradigm without getting a whole lot of real world belief in in you know peanut butter in that particular chocolate you can you can really sort of construct a paradigm without ever actually touching on like specific real world practices yeah i mean and 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 my advice would be to probably you know focus on exactly as much information as you need to for you and your table to have fun with yeah and if you are using something that is kind of like a modern thing, like even if you have Celestial Chorus at the table, make sure that you don't have any other players who are particularly, you know, religious. If you are not and you're playing that, you know, like make, make sure your table's comfortable with what you're playing. Yeah, the biggest thing about comfort is unless you are streaming your game, uh, the biggest thing about comfort is the comfort of everyone that's sitting at that table. So it doesn't particularly matter what I think of your game that you're running in your house. Uh, what matters is the people at, the t- at that table and how they feel. 100%. And yeah, I think that's actually a pretty good place to leave this for today. So yeah, thank you both for coming out and 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 working me into your schedule. It was really appreciated and yeah, a lot of absolutely. fun. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was, a, it was a hoot. I would love to do more. Sounds good. Yeah, I, I, I'll definitely pull you back for, for a few other things, I think. I have a whole planned episode list that I'm like, hmm, where, where can I fit Travis in? <laughs> where would that be good? <laughs> I will find a place. Yeah. Is there any last words from either of you about Paradigm, about yourselves, about stuff you're working on, anything like that? Don't stress too much. 
Paradigm is is a tool meant to be fun. Helps you get into your character's headspace. Don't don't think that you do have to go get a master's degree in certain types of philosophy to play a character. You know, just try to get into your character's head and have fun with it. You know, it'll enhance everybody else's fun too. So enjoy Mage. Not enough people play it. More people need to play this damn game. Yes, uh, I would concur. I would say go out and pick up Lore of the Traditions as soon as it's available, because it's the next big one, and it was a whole bunch of fun to work on. If you've not yet picked up Technocracy Reloaded, I also would highly recommend that one. And uh, M20 Sorcerer, which was like a passion project for me. It was It's one of the proudest things I've ever worked on. Uh, I, I cannot recommend it highly enough, and I hope everybody runs out and picks up five copies. Also, uh, just because... In the hopes of introducing this to an audience that might not have otherwise uh, come across it, uh, I would highly recommend everyone go out and check out the World Below Ashcan that's up on DriveThruRPG. It's a new setting from Onyx Path Publishing. Uh, I had the uh, privilege of working on some of the the powers for that setting, and it's just it's it's super fun. Uh, uses the StoryPath Ultra system. Uh, some of the world building stuff was done by Ed Greenwood. It's a really good book, and the Ashcan is like five bucks. So. Please go pick that up and write uh, glowing reviews of how awesome you think it is. Fantastic. Well, then I guess that's it for this episode. Be sure to catch us next time as I dive back into the many different aspects of Mage the Ascension. You've been listening to Paradox, a Mage the Ascension podcast, and you can find us wherever you can find podcasts. If actual plays are up your alley, check out Dorktales on twitch.tv slash dorktales or youtube.com slash dorktales. Find us on the Dorktales Discord server, or check out our website at dorktales.ca. We are currently streaming a Mage the Victorian era game on Saturdays. Our Patreon subscribers have early access to the Technocracy Zero Sum game, which is also starting to roll out on YouTube for the general public. And we have several Mage one-shots and a short-run chronicle called Breaking Tradition on YouTube. Additionally, we are starting to roll out our Mage the Victorian era game in podcast form over on the Dorktales Podbean channel, also found wherever you can find podcasts. Finally, as always, there's also all of our other amazing content. Thanks for listening, and remember to always keep your magic coincidental, unless it's Fireball. Fireball.